well, good morning, Doxa. Man, it's, it's great to see you guys. I was a little bit worried that uh, the polar vortex was going to wipe out our church, but uh, glad to see you guys all made it. What was it with that? That was terrible, right? I mean, yesterday I went outside and I felt like I could wear shorts, right? It was just, it felt so warm, but it was great. But uh, man, this weekend outside of the weather was a really exciting weekend for me, for our network of churches, for, for Doxa and for Salt Company. So uh, our staff, and you might look around and be like, we're a little bit light on, on college students. It's because we had our, our annual Salt Company conference down in Des Moines, Iowa, and they're actually still there right now in their, their final session. And, and guys, it was just incredible. Um, we're gonna, we'll show you some pictures. You can look on social media. Guys, it was great. There were over 2,300 college students gathered in the event center at, in Iowa, and uh, it was it was just incredible to to be there to watch God with this movement of churches called the Salt Network. It, it honestly it's, it feels like someone one of the pastors in our network said it feels like we're standing underneath the waterfall of God's grace with a Dixie cup just trying to keep up, that he has just done some incredible things despite broken people that are just trying to run hard after Jesus. And so I thought it'd be, it'd be great just a way for us to love, you know, we love college students, that's why we're here in many ways to be a church that's for the city, but and the campus, the 45,000 students that are like a mile away. And so what we wanna do guys is I thought a cool way for us to just even express that and love them would just to be praying for them right now, okay? So they're in their last session and, and uh, our newest church planner that's going to Michigan State, Austin, Wado, he's preaching this morning. And so join me in just praying for them and um, yeah, just ask God to just do and speak to them in such a way that he has a vision for their life, that it's not just about them in, in their careers, but it's about the gospel. It's about seeing people say yes to Jesus. So let's pray. God, I, I do thank you for, for Salt Company, for, I mean, all these, these college students that we're, we're seeing respond to your gospel here in Madison and even just give up their weekend to go and to just be with other college students that are running hard after you. God, would you just give them as they engage in worship and, and teaching, give them a vision of their life for, for church planning, your, your plan to point people to you, Jesus. God, would they just begin to think, man, where can I go after I graduate? Would they just go just with like, just abandon and just run hard after you and just work to see people respond to the gospel and say yes to you, Jesus. So meet them right now. Pray specifically for, for our UW students that are there. Holy Spirit, would you just light up the words of the Bible that are being taught right now? Would you just grab them and show them how beautiful you are? And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, guys, we're, we're continuing our, our journey through the gospel of Luke today. If you have your Bible, go ahead and, and open up to the gospel of Luke chapter 12. If you don't have a Bible, love to give you one as a gift on your way out. You can stop at the welcome table, grab that. This is what we do. We get into the Bible together as we, as we gather as, as Doxa Church. And, and guys, as a quick reminder, we're in the middle of a, a major section in Luke's gospel, all right, where Jesus is on the road. All right, that from chapter 9, verse 51, till about the middle of the 19th chapter of the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is on the road and he's walking towards Jerusalem, where he's ultimately walking towards his death, his crucifixion, which is ultimately for our sin and our salvation. So Jesus, he's, he's walking on this road to Jerusalem, and as he's walking, he's teaching. He's primarily teaching his disciples, but he's teaching people that come and, and intersect him. He's teaching them, and ultimately us, what it takes I want you to hear this, guys. This is where we're at. What it takes to be on the road with Jesus. And here in chapter 12, beginning in verse 22, where we're going to be at, he begins to teach them about worry and anxiety. 
which I think is just a really timely message for all of us, and it's going to relate to all of us on some level. And before we get into this, let me, let me just say this, okay? Guys, here at Doxa, we, we uh, seek to be just a, a Bible-saturated family, because we believe that the Bible is true. And it's not just true, but it's, it's true in a really practical and personal way. In the whole Bible, the entire Bible, guys, is ultimately about Jesus. That every page, every chapter, every book points us to Jesus. And so this isn't just a book about us. And it's not a self-help book, but this is a book that's all about God. And so as we get into this today, reading it and seeking for it to be practical and helpful for us in terms of our, our worry and our anxiety and our fears. Guys, I want you to know this, is that the only way that that can truly happen is if we get to know Jesus. And this is our goal every single time that we gather, that Jesus would be lifted high and we would see him and hear from him more than anything around us. And so with that being said, let's just go ahead and read it. And then we're going to work to understanding and applying this, okay? So Luke chapter 12 we're going to start in verse 22. And he said to his disciples, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. I want you to underline that. Circle it. Do not be anxious about your life. This is the issue. This is what Jesus is talking about. What will you, you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. How much more value... Are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you're not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothed the grass which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? Do not seek what you are to eat or what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourself with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in heaven that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is there your heart will be also. Guys, so here's where we're at, all right? We, we live in a world that's saturated with worry and anxiety. And in my study this week, I, I researched the American Psychiatric Association's list of, of phobias. And in looking at it, I was struck by the reality, guys, that there are so many named fears in our world. And really, every single person that we know suffers from a greater or a small fear and worry in our lives. Right, and as I looked at this list of phobias, some of them are, you know, pretty normal. You've, you've heard of them. Some of them are, are really interesting, okay? So, for example, you have agoraphobia, all right, which is just the fear of, of open spaces. On the opposite side, you have claustrophobia, which is the fear of con being confined in small spaces. Acrophobia, which is the fear of heights. Autophobia, which is the fear of being alone. You have phobophobia, which is the fear of having phobias. All right, that, I don't even know what that means, but that, that sounds terrible, Okay. <laughs> Come find me if that's you. I want to give you a hug, okay? <laughs> now, some of the more interesting ones are those like pallidophobia, which is the fear of bald people, okay? <laughs> I have some friends that are bald. I guess I never considered them creepy, but this made me second guess this, okay? Then you have defecalosiophobia, which is the fear of bowel movements, okay? Some of you with kids get a healthy amen, right? In diapers, those blowouts, right? No good for anybody, okay? That's real. 
And then there's pogonophobia, which is the fear, and I need to apologize for this one because it's the fear of beards, okay? Which probably explains why some of you guys never want to talk to me, okay? Because, so sorry about that. But guys, here's the point. We live in a world with a lot of fear, a lot of worry, a lot of anxiety, and there's no one that doesn't suffer from a greater or a lesser type of fear and worry. Now, I have to say this, guys, okay? As I teach on this section, I was telling our staff this back there that there's a very real feeling in me of being a hypocrite, okay? Uh, you, you need to know that, that worry and anxiety has been something that's been a very real part of my life and, and who I am as a man. I even told Lisa earlier on this week that I'm teaching, I'm preaching on worry and fear this week. And she's like, really? Okay, well, hopefully that'll be helpful for you, right? <laughs> and honestly, guys, I can say that it, it has been. As I've spent time with Jesus in this passage, he's been helping me. And I'm not gonna stand up here, guys, and act like I have it all together, all right? But rather, here's my posture, all right? I'm gonna say this, because here's what's true. I know it's hard. I'm working through it. Let's just grab a hold of it as the family of Doxa and ask the Holy Spirit to just empower us to live in this reality together. This is what we're doing. Because some of you, you know my story. All right, growing up, my, my dad suffered from some mental illness, and there was a lot of fear in me from even a little, being a little kid of what day-to-day -day life was going to be like with my dad. My senior year in high school, my dad killed himself, and more fear came into my, my life of like, what is everybody going to think of me? Are they going to think that I'm crazy and all that stuff? And at 23, my, God saved me. 26, I got married, and it was great. But even more, like fear came in because as soon as we got married, Lisa and I, her family just imploded and fell apart. Intense conflict, the fear of what's the future going to look like? How are we going to deal with this? Like, what about money? Like, all, all of this stuff, very real. And then all the dust kind of settled on that. I'm leading a church in Ohio. And I quickly realized that I had even more fear and worry and anxiety. Can I do this? Like, am I going to be successful? Am I the type of man that God would, would use to, to lead a church? It was just a season of, of great worry for me. And then Lisa and I get pregnant. Well, I love how guys say that. We get pregnant, right? She did that. I got, I, well, never mind. <laughs> She gets pregnant. I helped, okay? And I quickly realized, oh my gosh, like I have a little girl coming into this world. Like I can't screw that one up. I don't have the money for counseling when she gets older, right? I need to figure this out. And even more fear comes into my life. And here's what I did in the midst of all that, guys. I just thought, okay, I'm a man. I'm tough. I'm just going to white knuckle it. And I'm just going to go. And so for years, I just worked really, really hard. I was trying hard to be a good pastor. I was preaching most every week. I was counseling people through their issues. I was traveling. I was speaking. I was helping new churches get started. I was, I was literally just trying to be a good husband, a good man, learning to be a good dad. I'm just going 100 miles an hour and just grinding it out. And it's no surprise, but I just hit a wall. I hit a breaking point, all right? And I couldn't sleep. And when I did sleep, I'd wake up four to five times a night with just like tightness in my chest and in my head. I could hear my heartbeat and like feel it in the side of my face. It was terrible. I was getting sick. I was getting angry. I was worrying about most everything. My life was just a ball of anxiety, just so tight. Maybe you've, you've lived there. And I was just literally dying inside. 
And I would just dream about the day, maybe I could just like quit my job and be a barista at Starbucks. I would literally lay there and be like, how great, just making coffee all day and drinking it. Like I'm not, if you work at a coffee shop, clearly that's not what you do, but that's what I dreamed about, okay? I would just dream about being a barista. And I remember like taking those online quizzes that, you know, like to see how, how do you know if you're depressed? I Googled that and it took me to like WebMD and be like, here's a quiz, right? And I would fill it out and hit submit and it would be like, go see a doctor. And I'm like, okay, that's not super encouraging, right? But I had a friend who was a doctor. He was worked with the football team. I went to him and I just said, here's what's going on. And he just looked at me and he was just like, bro, you cannot sustain life like this something's got to change. I can give you some meds to calm you down, but you need to go see a counselor or something. And so I did. I went to see a counselor, a godly woman, who I met with like every week for about a year or two. And she just listened. She asked me questions, and she pointed me to Jesus as she spoke truth. And one of the things that she would point me to is this passage that we're looking at today. And, and you know what I learned? Jesus is right. He's right. And I tell you all that to say this is, guys, I haven't figured it out, but I'm just a broken guy who's just leaning on Jesus and learning from Jesus and what he's saying here to us today. And he's helping me. He's helping me be a better man. He's, he's helping me be a husband and a dad and a pastor and a friend. And here in our passage, Jesus is teaching his disciples. And he's likely elicited some fear and some worry in these guys as he's talking, because I want you to consider this, okay? As he's talking to them, he's talking to them about loving all types of people, right? I mean, we've been journeying through this. He's talking about them, teaching them to, to give generously. He's teaching them about the cost of following him. And these disciples, like many of us, we, we hear Jesus's teachings and, and maybe they're thinking and you're thinking and I'm thinking, okay, like I get this, but if I am like generous like that and I give, I'm afraid that I'm not going to have enough money to do the things that I want to do. If I really love people in that radical way, I'm afraid that they're going to take advantage of me. I'm afraid that they're going to hurt me. If I really decide to follow Jesus, I know that it's going to cost me something. I'm going to have to give up certain things that everybody around me is doing and they're enjoying, and I'm afraid that I'm going to miss out. And Jesus is telling his disciples and us, what it actually means to be a Christian and to be on the road with him. And I want you to know, guys, that worry and anxiety is most definitely a present reality as these men are hearing this. And maybe even as you have been hearing this, that truly following, you guys, you need to know this, truly following Jesus is a life of walking the same road that he walked. And guys, that road is filled with suffering with hardships, with struggles, with challenges. And it's certainly not going to be easy. But hear this, it's always worth it. And because of this reality, Jesus turns to his disciples in Luke chapter 12 and he begins to help them think rightly about their fears. Look what he says in verse 22. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on, for life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Now, guys, whenever you're reading the Bible and you see the word therefore, it should just make you stop, all right? Because you need to stop and you need to look backwards because that, that word therefore indicates that what Jesus is about to say 
is building off of what he previously stated. And in this case, it points us back to his words to the rich man in verses 13 through 21. And the underlying issue for that man that Jesus just taught is that life is not defined by what you have, even if you have a lot. And it's in light of this fact that Jesus, first of all, he warned his disciples about greed and hoarding possessions for themselves. And now what he does is in verse 22, he flips to the other side and he says, therefore, because it's not about greed and hoarding, don't worry. Because the root cause, guys, of greediness and worry is the same, is that they both emerge from a failure to trust in God and delight in God. And the connection between these two passages, right, is clear. I want you to know this, guys. It's an issue of trusting God. This is where we're at today. Now, that being said, guys, worry is a fact of life. It just is. And Jesus says to his disciples, I need to talk to you about this problem of worry because while it's natural for you, it's also detrimental to you. It's not helpful at all. And I want you to look back to our passage, right? What does Jesus not do? Did you notice this? He doesn't just say, hey, you know, don't worry about it and then go on to something else. And there are so many people, godly as they may be, that when it comes to the issue of worry and anxiety and fear, they will counsel people and say, you know what, just don't worry about it. Have you, have you had people say that? And you're like, don't worry about this, right? And you right? <laughs> But like, hey, you're sick, don't worry about it. Oh, you lost your job, okay, you know, don't worry about it. Your family's falling apart, you don't have money, oh, don't worry about it. Jesus doesn't do that because the reality is is that's not helpful for anyone because you can't rid people of worry by saying don't worry. And so Jesus, he doesn't say don't worry. Instead, here's what he does, guys, what he always does. He gives us the gospel. And he gives us a heavenly perspective on worry to help us. And in my study this week, there's a man named Sinclair Ferguson who pointed out that, that Jesus' approach is much like a doctor, right? That Luke was a physician as he wrote this. Jesus is called the great physician, but Jesus approaches worry much like a doctor, that he starts with the symptoms, the symptom of, of worry and anxiety. Then he moves on to the cause, and then he ends up by giving us a remedy, and this is how I'm going to approach teaching this to you today, okay? So first, the symptom of worry and anxiety. Verse 24, take a look. Consider, circle that word, consider. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor weep. They neither have storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Verse 26, if then you are not able to do small things as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Verse 27, consider, circle that word again, consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. And Jesus is saying that our worry and anxiety is a symptom of faulty thinking. Write that down. It's a symptom of faulty thinking. And here's what you need to know about this, guys. Faulty thinking in the mind leads to anxiety in the body. We call this stress. We call it being stressed out. And what Jesus is pointing to is that anxiety is our body's response to faulty thinking in the mind. This is how it works. And he says in verse 24, consider. And when he says consider, he's literally just saying think. The word consider literally means to like pay attention and to think about something very carefully. And so what he does is he gives us several facts to think about, to hear this guys, to order our thinking on what is true in the midst of our worry and anxiety. Because guys, here's the truth, and, and I'll pause and say this, guys. I know 
we live in a fallen, broken world, and there's physiological issues that we can experience that require medical attention. Anxiety disorders run in my family. I get it. And so I know that there's things that, you know, doctors and medication can help with. But here's the thing, guys. Many of us, we don't need medication. We need the gospel. We need to be ordered in our thinking. All right? And he's saying most of our worries and our anxieties come from faulty thinking. That worry and anxiety, for the most part, guys, starts in our minds when we anticipate what could come. All right? I've heard worry talked about that worry is vision without optimism. We think about the future. Mark Twain said it once. He said, I've had many troubles in my life, most of which I've never experienced. Because he thinks about so much stuff that our minds and the way that we allow them to roll forward, oftentimes in, in faulty thinking, it produces many fears and many worries in our life. And so Jesus, he gives us three facts to help us with the symptom of faulty thinking. The first thing, verse 24, consider, literally think about the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They neither have storehouse or barn. And yet God feeds them. How much more valuable are you than the birds? And guys, the thrust of the comparison of how much more valuable are you than birds is similar to the argument in verses 6 and 7. Now, if you look back to chapter 12, verse 6 and 7, he's talking about sparrows. And sparrows, they represent birds with very little value. But here, as he introduces ravens, it's not just birds with little value, but ravens were considered unclean by Levitical law. That in Leviticus chapter 11, ravens were unclean, which means that they were unworthy of God's care. And so what Jesus is, is doing here is he's assuring us that the God who cares for these insignificant creatures of birds, and even the ones that are unclean, he still provides for them. If he, if he cares for them and provides for them, surely he's going to care for us because we are the pinnacle of his creation. We're made in his image. And it's a really simple thing that he's saying. But it's so hard to grasp, but he's saying, it's so simple, guys, that you're more valuable than birds. Write that down. <laughs> Seriously, write it down and remind you of this. This is a little, like, gospel truths that, you know, you can think about. This is what he's saying. It's faulty thinking if we don't think about that. You're so valuable, way more than the birds that he provides for. And guys, this is what it's saying. And somebody in here needs to know this. In the midst of your worry, your suffering, your anxiety, and your fear, listen, God sees you. I don't know about you, but in the midst of my anxiety and my, my worry and my fear, I feel like I'm just confined and I'm by myself and no one's there, not even God. God sees you and you need to know that he's there. Second, Jesus says this in verse 25 to help us with our thinking. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do a small thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? And this is another thing for us to think about, to, to consider, to order our thinking based on what is true. And the point here is this, guys, is that it is pointless to worry about small matters in life that we cannot control. And it's even more pointless to worry about the large matters in life that are further beyond our reach to control. And Jesus is basically asking us, what does worry contribute to your life? That guys, there's some things in our world that accomplish nothing. And anxiety, although a, a natural response to the events that are beyond our control, it's a profitless activity. 
it literally does nothing for our life and to change the situations that we live in. And Jesus asks, which of you by worrying can extend the length of your life? And the answer is clear, nobody. And so the conclusion is clear, why do it? It's pointless. And I've heard it said that worry is like sitting in a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but it gets you nowhere. And this is what he's saying, that we have faulty thinking if we think that worry is going to change anything. And not only will it not change anything, but guys, it will rob you of a life. It will rob you of joy. It will literally create in you an emptiness and a void of just utter despair. And this is what he's pointing to. So he says, don't worry. And the third thing he says to consider, to think about, verse 27 and 28, consider, think it out, the lilies, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And he's basically just saying, guys, think it out that if the creator went to the extent of making you so that you can live for him, do you think that he's gonna create you and then just back away from you and leave you alone and not provide for you? He's like, this just doesn't make sense. Think it out, consider it. And the, he's pointing to an issue, guys, of trust, which starts by the way that we think about God. And the example here of, of the flowers and the grass is, is so straightforward that even a child can, can grasp it. I, I read Lily, she's got the Jesus Storybook Bible, and I read her some stories every, every night before we go to bed. And we were just reading this, and I'm like, Lily, do you get this? And then I, no, okay, well, let me teach this to you. Okay, God created flowers. Do you know that? Yes, I love flowers, especially the pink ones. Great, he created those, he made them beautiful. Well, this is my, she keeps on going on about the flowers. I'm like, here's the point, Lily. God made that, and he made it beautiful, and he feeds them, he gives them water, and he even plants new ones. And it, he just takes care of these flowers. And I'm like, you know what that means? No. You can trust him because he's going to take care of you just like he takes care of that beautiful flower. And she's like, really? I'm like, yeah. She's like, that is awesome. Guys, it is awesome. A child can grasp it. But we, we get older and we complicate it. And Jesus is saying, think about this stuff. Consider all of these things and realize who your God is, that if, that if he cares for all of these things, do you not think that he's going to care for you? Now, all of this, super straightforward, but it's so hard to do because naturally on our own, we are just broken and sinful and we don't think right about God. That on our own, we are all terrible theologians meaning we don't think rightly about God. And this is why we need Jesus. We need him not only to save us from, from sin and hell and death, but we need him for his spirit so he can help us to understand who God is and navigate life, especially as it relates to our worry and anxiety. The pastor theologian A.W. Tozer, he said it great. He said the most significant thing about a person is what they think about when they think about God. And this is what Jesus is saying, that when we think wrongly about God, it messes with us and we worry, we have anxiety. But if we begin to think rightly about God, which Jesus is trying to help us with, 
we understand that God cares for us. He sees us. He's looking out for us. And this begins to change our perspective of life and our existence on this earth. It's about our thinking. So he gives us the symptom of our worry being faulty thinking. And then he moves on to show us the cause of our worry and anxiety. Look back to verse 28. What if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, how much more will he clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. I want you to circle little faith. The cause of our worry and anxiety is ultimately this, guys. Little faith. See, worry casts doubt on God's care. And so Jesus, as he's addressing his disciples in their worry, and he's addressing us in our worry, he addresses us as, as people of little faith, because it's a trust thing. And so I'll encourage you to do this. As you're sitting here and you're thinking about this and you're hearing all this, this is what I've been doing this whole week, is you ask that question, and I want you to write this down, talk about it, your connection, you, do I trust God? This is the issue. And as you answer that, you know, the Christian answer is, oh, of course I do, I'm a Christian. But do you really trust God? What does your worry and anxiety say about your answer? And if you think about that this week and, and you're like, man, I don't know if I really do. The temptation for you is to be embarrassed by that and to close, or grab it and just throw it into the darkness and not talk about it. Do not do that for the love of God. Bring it out in your connection group and say, here is the issue. I don't. This is the stuff that's out of control and I need your help with reordering my thinking and let the group around you, God's people, speak the gospel to you in such a way that it reorders your thinking and helps you rid your worry. This is what Jesus is saying. Because if we're real, our worry and anxiety is saying that God cannot be trusted. And the essence of trust is to recognize that God will take care of what's in his hand. And so if we are in Christ through faith in Jesus, as John 10 puts it, we're in God's hand and nothing can take us away. And if we're in God's hand, there's no reason to worry about anything because he cares for the things that are in his hand. He's saying, don't worry. So the big question though that has to be looming is this, is how do we know that that's actually true? How do we know that, that God cares? I mean, this sounds great, but how do we know? How, do, how can I believe this? And maybe this is why we talk about being a Bible-saturated family. Because if you know your Bible well, you know the answer. The Apostle Paul puts it like this in Romans 8, 31 and 32. It's going to come up on the screen. But what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Because how do we know that God cares? He didn't spare his son. Because it always goes back to Jesus. It always goes back to the gospel. That God created us in his image to be here. We, because of disobedience and sin, have, have broken that relationship. We're severed. We exist separated on our own. But God, in his great love and his care for us, he entered into human history as the man Jesus. And he died to care for us in the most significant salvific way that he could. And on the cross, he takes our sin and he gives us his righteousness and brings us back. So how do we know that God cares? By reminding ourselves of the gospel. This is why we always preach about Jesus. We're never going to stop preaching about Jesus because it always goes back to Jesus. It's always about him. It's always about the gospel. We never grow past the gospel, guys. And we preach the gospel into that worry. And we are reminded by the gospel that how do we know that he cares? How do we know that we're in his hand? He didn't spare his son. 
And guys, I want you to know this about your faith. Guys, we're not saved from sin and worry by the strength of our faith, but by the object of our faith. It's not about you. It's all about Jesus. And when troubles overwhelm us and circumstances come, many times we just cannot get out of those things on our own. But what Jesus is teaching is that the issue is not getting out of the situation, but getting out of the worry of the situation. And thinking, about, thinking rightly about God will strengthen our faith, which is going to diminish the cause of our worry and anxiety because the root of our worry is the absence of trust, which comes from little faith. And we know that God cares because of the gospel that we celebrate and we sing and we preach and all this. So remind yourself that even now, God did not spare his son. That's how we know. And here's the interesting part, okay? As Jesus is talking about faith, presumably this is why he goes in a direction that, that none of us would probably do, right? And, and see coming, right? And it can seem kind of weird, but look at verse 33, he says, don't worry. Now here's what you can do. Sell all your possessions. That's going to help my anxiety. Okay. Give to the needy. Provide yourself with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in heaven that does not fail, where no thief approaches nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And guys, what Jesus is doing here is he's redirecting our focus. He's redirecting our focus away from ourselves. And he says, you know what part of the problem is? Is that all, if all you ever do is focus on yourself Right? You're, you're going to end up with more fear and more anxiety. But if you start to think about heavenly things and giving to those who have a need, it's going to completely alter the way that you experience your life and it's going to directly help you with your worry. And, and when you read this, guys, it's really difficult to know the reason for this exhortation, whether it's to, to benefit the poor or rid the disciples of the things that get in the way of their trust in God. I tend to think it's both. It's not either or, it's a both thing. All right, but while the poor are mentioned here, the point of this passage as a whole seems to be the dependence of the disciples on God, which allows them to be generous to those in need around them. And so Jesus asks, where's your treasure? So I'll ask you that. You, you think about it. Where's your treasure? Where's your, where's your money? Where's your giving? Where's your possession? Where's your stuff? And we can hear that in the midst of our stress. And maybe you're really stressed out and you're like, this was actually going good for me right now. And really, Jesus, you're going to ask me this question in the midst of me being stressed out? Where is my stuff? But here's what you need to know, guys. Your life follows your money. And so where does your money go? Really think about that. And chances are that your money goes to the things that you worry about. And so you worry about security. And so it goes into a savings account, a nest egg, right? So you don't have to worry about anything. You worry about comfort. And so it goes into a house and a car and things that make your life more, more comfortable and, and bearable. You worry about status. And so you just fill your life with a bunch of stuff. And many people, because of their little faith and their trust in God, they try to find comfort in the relief of worry and stress by filling their life with stuff as a type of security. But what this does, guys, if, if you're doing this, what it does is it takes our eyes off God and it turns our eyes to all of our stuff that we think brings us comfort, but it ultimately doesn't. It brings more stress and more anxiety because we constantly need more because we never address the true cause, which is little faith. 
We're just putting a Band-Aid over it, and we're trying to just fill our life with stuff. That, guys, so much of our worry, especially in this country, is connected to our stuff. That in our city, most of us, most people, we live in a really affluent city. We don't worry about having water or food or clothes, but we're worried about the tile in our kitchen matching our cupboards. We're worried about getting a promotion at jobs so I can get a deck and maybe even a hot tub if the bonus is good. It's a very narcissistic type of worry. And Jesus says, get rid of all of that stuff. It's just going to cause you more anxiety and give it away. I mean, this is part of the reason why we do this feed our city thing, right? Because we know that we have such a, a people here that we have so much resources. Let's trust God and love people in such a way that we just give and give generously to those who actually do need it. It's not stuff, it's Jesus that brings us comfort in our worry and anxiety. And if we believe that God is a generous king, we're able to give. And as we do this, it's guys, I want you to know, it's not that God wants to take our stuff, but he wants to take our stress. He wants to take the things that are connected to our stress and our worry and anxieties. And he says, as you give, you're giving me your stress and your worry and your anxiety and you're giving things to those who need it. You can be generous. So it's the issue of trusting God to care for you. And guys, in my experience, some of the most generous people are those who have just a great faith that God is good. We sing those songs. You're good. We raise our hands. Do we live it like that? Like, do we trust him? And so I'll ask you this and write it down. What's your trust in? What is your trust in? And if you want some help with answering that question, guys, what do you do with your money? Follow your money. And that's going to give you some indication. It's revealing. It's been revealing to Lisa and I through the years as we look at that. You know, some of us, we, we don't give to anything. We don't give to charity. We certainly don't tithe and give to the church. We don't give because why? Because we're afraid. We don't trust God because I need to do certain things. I need to save for this. I need to do. So I'm not going to listen to God in obedience. I'm not going to give. I'm not going to do anything like that. I'm going to hoard, which is what he just got done talking about with the rich guy, because we don't trust. So we have the symptom of worry, which is faulty thinking, the cause of worry, which is little faith. And to close this up, Jesus gives us the remedy for worry and anxiety. He says in verse 29, and did not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor to be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your father, circle father, he knows what you need. He knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom. I want you to circle his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock. Circle little flock. For it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Guys, the remedy for our worry and anxiety, says Jesus, is the father. That our worry, our fear, and anxiety is ultimately conquered by the Father. And Jesus, as he shifts to mention the Father, he adds this image of family to the idea of worry, that every good father, he watches over their kid and he helps them so they don't have to worry. If you're a parent, you get this. And you tell your kids, you don't have to worry, I got this under control. You're going to be fine. And look at the language in verse 32. Fear not. And generally speaking, when the Bible uses fear not, it then goes on to tell you who God is. I've heard it said by other pastors, it's, it's that your theology results in your biography. Meaning this, is that who God is changes how you live and approach God and life. And so he says, fear not. Why? Because I'm a little flock. 
You were probably thinking that, right? You were probably thinking about baby lambs when you're talking about, no, right? But this is fatherly language, right? And the, and the fatherly image here is informative because sheep are some of the most skittish and frightened creatures, so easily scared. And Jesus calls us little flock because he's showing us that we are these skittish sheep that get so scared about things, but we have a great shepherd who's good and he looks after us and he, and he gives us what we need. And I love the guys that Jesus is honest, that he's saying that life is scary. You're going to struggle. You're going to struggle with worry. You're going to have anxiety unless you know your father. And when you have a good theology of the father, we gain a perspective on life. And all of a sudden our focus shifts from my fears to my father. And guys, this has been a key thing for me in my worry and anxiety actually understanding that I have a father in heaven who's good. He's so much bigger than all of my fears and worries. Guys, and that's like one of those Christian things that we sing. We sing good, good father, right? And you're like, yes. But like when it actually sinks in that you have a father in heaven that's looking out for you, guys, it changes your perspective. And Jesus is saying like, consider all this. It's going to change the way that you think about life and think about God. And we don't have time to get into this, but when he says, seek the kingdom, all right, he's basically saying, you take care of my things and I'm gonna take care of your things. All right, that when we seek God's kingdom first, it means that we seek the things of God as a priority over everything else in this world. And if we're taking care of God's business, which is what we talked about a couple weeks ago, loving God and loving people, then he's gonna take care of our stuff. And that, guys, here's this. here's this. This is why this is so great. There's no worry in that game plan. We take care of his stuff and he says, I'm going to take care of yours and I'm going to give you everything that you need. So we have all this. Now, does that mean that we don't worry? No. We're still going to worry. But now we understand that worry is just a really sinful response to not trusting God. But our Father overcomes our fear and our worry because the Father points us to the Son, whom he did not spare. And guys, don't you love that Jesus isn't just like another religious leader that has just a cushy life, right? And he just doesn't sit there and he, he, nothing goes wrong for him and he just gives us these principles to live by that he has no need of for himself. Don't you just love that that's not our Jesus? I do, because he knows about fear. He knows about anxiety. Hebrews says that we have a great high priest that can sympathize with everything that we feel. Because remember, as he's saying this, where is he going? He's on the road to Jerusalem to be killed. He's looking face to face at his death. He knows that he's going to be executed and tortured. And he has to work through this with the Father. And this is why when we see this, it changes the way that we see the Garden of Gethsemane. When Jesus is there and he's wrestling with this, he's afraid. He's literally sweating drops of blood because the anxiety is so intense that he has to go to the Father and do work with him to get through This is it. And so when Jesus says, fear not, we know that he's just not given us this principle that he didn't have to deal with, but he dealt with it. And he's trying to help us as he dealt with it to lead us in a new way of life because he knows that it's good for us and he loves us. Guys, this is our Jesus. This is why he's so good. Because it always comes back to Jesus. Remind yourself of the gospel. 
When you're fearful and you're worried, I think of 2 Corinthians chapter five or chapter 10, verse five, when Paul says, take that thought captive and preach the gospel to it. Grab that worry and that anxiety and say, you don't have ruling power over my life because I'm in God's hand and Jesus defeats that worry. And that thing doesn't necessarily go away, but the worry of that thing is not controlling you. And there's freedom and there's life and there's trust and there's hope because it's all about Jesus. Let's pray. God, um, I know that even as I've studied this passage and preached this passage, I want so badly to believe it. And I do. I just need you to just let it just sink deeply into my heart. Let me actually live in light of what you just taught me. Because my fear and my worry and my anxiety and my stress can just get out of control because ultimately I forget about who the Father is. And thanks for this little moment that we got to gather around your word and hear from you. So even as we leave this place, Holy Spirit, do your thing. Be our comforter, our guide, our teacher. Continue to teach us this stuff. Continue to remind us of the gospel. Continue to remind us what's true. Help us to order our thinking as we experience anxiety and stress and worry. And let us remember you, Jesus. I pray that every single time we experience worry, we at least have the thought of the Father who did not spare his son. So we just thank you that your word is true, that you broke into our life this morning to teach us something. Let us walk in it. Empower us by your grace through your spirit.